and and it, it takes a certain level of confidence to understand that the most beautiful idea doesn't have to be one that you came up with, but it's one that mm. we came up with and it's organic and to say yes and explore and to go, let's keep going. Let's find what's next. Like, and I don't know where I'm going, but I'm trusting you and you're going to help me get there. And then when you do that, the other person's doing the same thing, the most beautiful things that ever happen. Like in that moment, I felt like Rob and I were sharing the same brain and, and it is amazing when that happens. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. I am your host, Bobby Audley. I am a team development trainer and a keynote speaker. As a trainer, I've had the privilege of working with some of the best athletic programs in the world. As a keynote speaker, I have given two TEDx talks and I have spoken on stages in 36 states and counting at national conferences, Fortune 500 companies, and to Team USA. This podcast is a show where I have coffee and conversation with some of the best leaders in the world, and we talk about culture and connection. In all of my work, my vision is a world in which people feel connected wherever they are. If your team, business, or school could use a shot of positivity and inspiration, or if your team would benefit from creating a culture of connection in a virtual world, I offer a wide range of highly customized virtual speaking services. From 15-minute pre-recorded messages to interactive live Zoom presentations to highly produced in-studio keynotes to multi-day highly produced retreats, virtual retreats, my team has a virtual solution for you. If you are planning far out and you have an ability to host an in-person event safely, we are all ears for what is possible. At the moment, I'm having conversations with summer camps and sports programs planning for in-person programming this summer. And at the same time, just yesterday, I had a conversation with an international organization whose workforce is entirely virtual, non-COVID related. They're all over the world and they have always been virtual. And we are planning to host a connection focused team development experience once a quarter for them in 2021. It is a project I am very excited about and I would love to do the same for you. Message me on Instagram or LinkedIn. Email me at bobbyaudley01 at gmail.com or shoot me a text or give me a call at 443-681-9230. Again, text or call at 443-681-9230. On today's episode of the show, I sit down with award-winning actor, director, writer, producer, acting coach, and the funniest improv comedian I know, Wyatt Unger. Wyatt has acted professionally in TV, film, and on stage, most notably in the Academy Award-winning film for Best Picture, Birdman. Most recently, Wyatt was nominated for Best Acting for his work in The Remnant, a short film that I thoroughly enjoyed, and they are currently shopping around to festivals, so perhaps you will be able to see it soon. As I've already mentioned, I know Wyatt for his amazing and hilarious improv comedy work. If you are local to the D.C. Baltimore area, Wyatt directs and performs in shows at Anne Arundel Community College. Daniel and I have seen him there, and he performs with the D.C. Improv. And after the holiday break, it looks like they may be doing some virtual shows that you can check out no matter where you live. On today's episode, Wyatt and I get into why we both love improv comedy, what I believe you can learn from it if you are a manager, coach, or leader of any kind, and Wyatt shares why he believes improv offers all of us valuable lessons for mental health. It's a long episode filled with awesome stories and takeaways from Wyatt, so we are going to get right into it. Please enjoy my cup of coffee with Wyatt Unger. 
Um, yeah, it's 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 very interesting. I actually uh, see I did basketball, I think, in middle school, and I have not done sports since. That told you how good I was. Um, and <laughs> uh, which is funny because it was the nerves that got to me, the nerves of games, which yeah. is hilarious because I perform in front you of You decided a, performing a was, was less yeah. nerve-wracking, yeah. Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, <laughs> you make me do a layup in front of a crowd of people screaming, I'm, I'm going to choke every time, but yeah. make me memorize something and then perform it honestly, I, I can do it. Um, yeah, um, it's funny because I, I, so I coach improv and then I am also an acting coach and um, it's it's not something where I ever intended to do it. I I loved acting and I've, I've been doing it pretty much my entire life. I don't remember a time I wasn't doing it. Um, ever since elementary school, middle school, high school, college. Um, and when I went to college, I, so I'm dyslexic. Um, and as an individual that with a disability, um, I always found memorizing lines difficult. Uh, that was always something that was hard for me. It was super challenging for me, but I loved acting. And it was this like push and pull between being able to read things well and understand it and comprehend it and then being able to perform it. Cause you have to understand it if you're going to perform it, you have mm -hmm. to. Um, and I remember there was one night I was flipping through channels and I saw um, Bra I, there's something on Bravo. It was called ASCAT. And I had seen Whose Lines Anyway before. And I thought that was really cool. And I think it's really funny. And I, I enjoyed it and everything. But um, ASCAT was a special performance that Upright Citizen Brigade put on and which is like a huge improv troupe in New York. I'd never heard of them. There were people in there that uh, I didn't really know at the time, except Horatio Sands was on there and Amy Poehler, um, Tina Fey. And I was like, oh, I recognize these people from SNL. This is cool. What is this? And they did long form improv. And I had never seen anything like it. And it blew my mind. Just these people not like in whose lines anyway in whose lines anyway they would create a scene go ahead is whose lines short form improv then? yes okay yes yes whose lines short form and um you know there and so i was in la a couple of years ago and went to uc yeah. out there and when i obviously have seen uh you know seen i would i don't know if it's a lot of improv but you know mm -hmm. danielle and i'll go twice a year to like an improv show in DC yeah, yeah. come out and seen you guys at AACC obviously in college we loved it but when I went in um to UCB it was it's probably what you're getting into but it was mm -hmm. literally like an hour long of one thing it wasn't even a game and yeah. it, for me it wasn't funny at first and then when I caught because I didn't know what the hell was going on and yeah. then I caught on that like this is the show I couldn't right. even tell you what happened. It became funny because <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is, this is the show. And it was yeah. just an hour of them riffing on like one thing. Yeah. And, that that. and I can't tell yeah. you more than that, but it was, it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That thing that you didn't understand was the thing that made me want to do this. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I didn't understand it either, but I, I felt that because I had an acting background and I had, you know, done acting classes and stuff like that, I had a, a decent understanding of like kind of, oh, okay, improv games and stuff like that, but I had never seen that before. These were people that were, because I did plays. That was what I did. I, I did all kinds of plays. I was super fortunate that my parents were, were very 
uh, supportive in that. And when I did all these plays, like that's what I was used to. It's this full whole arcing story with different characters and different beats and different themes and they all connect up and you get a larger message when you're done and you feel connected to it. And that's something where in short form and who's lies anyway, you don't really feel connected. Like you, you, you laugh and it's fun and, and you have a great time and they're hilarious. They're fan. They're phenomenal what they do, but it wasn't until like, I saw like, you can actually make real honest acting choices like there's enough space in here to do that there's enough time to slow things down and to be honest and and to really explore like well what if i was a racist mm -hmm. like what is that actually like and like that was fascinating to me and i was i became so interested in it and i, I like after that i like went to our theater club that we had uh this is when i was at um junior college and, and community college and uh, which is at AACC, ironically. USA, you went um, to Anne Arundel? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and when I went there, I was like, I really want to do improv. Like, what can we do? And there was someone else there that wanted to pitch an improv troupe at the same time, ironically. And we met up and we started talking about it and what we wanted to do. And um, we started doing it. But the funny thing was, even though like him and I, I, I Artie Sanchez is the name of the other guy. Um, I, I have tremendous still respect for him as a performer. Um, and as a person um but we were kind of winging it we were kind of like we we were um you know it's not like uh basketball or, or baseball or something like that where like you can uh you know you've you've seen people play this on tv for hours and hours and thousands of hours everyone talks about it. everybody knows that baseball team right people are like oh yeah my kid's doing little league you never hear like oh yeah my six-year-old is gonna do some uh, uh some sit stand life real quick like you don't hear them doing improv games but what's funny is little kids do that they they make up worlds and they make up roles and they go okay you're the bad guy and this is and i'm the good guy and they play within these rules and it was getting back to that childlike place and understanding that thing that we kind of lost a little bit um and understanding that just like a sport what we're going to do is unpredictable you don't go into a baseball game knowing he's going to hit it over there i'm going to catch it and then i'm going to run over here um you practice dynamic skills that can be used in almost any situation i i think that i've never been in the military but i also think it's akin to being in the military to a certain extent you know it's going to be you and this group of, of people that you've trained with, that you've worked with, that you've been in all kinds of situations with, that you prepared for any situation, for that when you actually get out there, you're not going to think. You're just going to go. And you know that no matter what, the person next to you is going to have your back. So how do you, you – I think that's an awesome analogy of the military. And what it brings up for me is when we talk about a culture of an organization – Mm -hmm. sometimes the military example is good and sometimes it doesn't fit at all. I was talking to yeah. a product director just a couple, well, it must've been a month ago because we were planning a, a hundred person event. So yeah, yeah. it wasn't within the last few weeks, but, um, but he was saying how um, in the past they've done military type trainings and he wasn't putting those down, but he was saying they don't fit our culture because it's very much, here's what I'm asking you to do and you just do it. And yes, you have that person's back, but like there is a hierarchical kind of nature to it, which is what the yeah. needs. What I love about improv is the, the, what you said, you have everybody's back, your success is their success and, and yeah. vice versa. And so and you mentioned kind of training for that. How do you train for that? Like, how do you train? I've only ever seen 
the end product, like the show, you <laughs> right, know, right. how do you take a group, you know, the show that Danielle and I went to, however many months ago it was, it was you and a group of your students and you guys had been working on that show for a long time. You know, if you're yeah. preparing for a play, you're learning the lines and doing, seeing your marks and improving them. How do you right, prepare right. for an improv show? Um, so there, there's some baseline skills um, and, and ideas that you really have to practice to be able to fully understand. So um, one of them, it's funny because you brought up hierarchy. Um, and, and that is absolutely true with the military and it's absolutely not true at all with improv. I actually think the opposite is, is very much so true that um, one of the things that you learn very quickly and that we, we drill in is I purposely have them go out on stage. There are things that are called premise scenes and things that are called, um, chaff scenes um so chaff is um i don't know why these are military terms i don't mean them to be but uh chaff is like essentially things that you're you're just throwing out that don't really have any meaning so if i want to start a good scene with you bobby i might be like hey um your brother's been stuck in the air duct for about two hours now i know he's really really upset um but he can can you help me get him out Right. We know what this scene's about. It's going to be about getting this guy out of an air duct. We know who you are. We assume we're inside, inside some kind of house. Right. I'm giving you a lot of information. Um, and that's something that we train to do is try to get the other person on the same page as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Meaning get out your who, what, where. Um, so kind of like a, a guide to understand. And if you don't have that guide, it's important to build it. So that would mean we would enter a scene together and, and maybe um, I might start the scene by being like, Hey dad. So we don't know a lot, but right now we know you're my father. Mm -hmm. And then, so I can't be like, from there later on, I can't call you mom. We know that basic rule. And if I do, we have to figure out why I just did that. It's, it's whatever the person has said or whatever they has done which is the yes and principle is reality. I don't like the term yes and because I know that's a term they use all the time in, in, in improv, but I don't think that it's, it really encompasses it. It's, it's really, really important to train improvisers to understand that you can disagree with someone in a scene, but you can't disagree with their reality. Mm. So if, if I'm telling you, hey, it's pretty cold on this roof, you can't be like, what are you talking about? We're in space. Because now you're confused, the, your partner's confused, and everyone is confused. Um, and improv, you will actually see people with egos jump into scenes with something hilarious. I'm like what I just said about being in an air duct. I think that's a really funny scene. But Bobby, you might have had an idea that was totally different. You might have been like, I wanted to be in a desert. I have this great idea to start a scene in the desert. But if you try to change it to the desert after I just established that we're trying to get our, the brother out of the air duct, it's not going to make any sense. And so you actually, it teaches you humility. Mm -hmm. It forces it upon you because you'll watch and, and it doesn't matter how good of an improviser they are. It doesn't matter how long they've done it. It doesn't matter who they're working with, an audience member, uh, an improviser, Colin Mockery, it doesn't matter you learn very quickly that no matter what idea you have, it is not as important as the scene itself. Yeah, whoever think, goes first. I think that's a really profound point in general because, you know, I was just, prior to this, I was on a Zoom call 
with 20 other college coaches, primarily soccer. And we're all taught the title of the call was um, what is your definition of culture? And yeah. inherently after about five or there's 20 guys on the call after about five or six definitions, the facilitator moves on to the next question. And, and, and the next, I didn't, I didn't share my point because other people were talking and the next question was different. And I sat there and thought, well, I still got to share my definition of culture. And because I've done this long enough, I wrote in my notebook, nobody cares. Like we've moved on <laughs> to the next thing. And, right. and I, in the, a younger me would have still shared my point and the room would have kind of been like, yeah, we get it. You, you, obviously you have something to say. <laughs> and, and right, so, right, right. And so it, it, I just thought of that literally, as you're saying it, I go, that was less than an hour ago. That was kind of the thought in my head of, of my ego thinks I have this brilliant definition. And in reality, the scene has moved on and, and nobody cares anymore. So, so yeah, ability to recognize that. And, and going along with that point, it also teaches you that no matter what happens, that you're going to be okay. And that, and that's also another really profound lesson that you only learn through having bad scenes. That's the only way you learn it is you will watch improvisers and maybe they're seasoned vets. Like some of these people I've literally been doing improv with for 10 years. Like we have been rehearsing for about two hours a week for 10 years, every week. Like that's the level I know these people. And sometimes we'll get into a scene and it will just suck. And it is, it's when you start realizing that it sucks, you'll start to thrash and you'll start to be like, we need to make something funny. We need to make something that's going to work. We, we, why isn't this working? Maybe we need this. Maybe we need that. And it's when you start panicking that it just gets worse. And it's like being stuck in the ocean. You have to relax and you just have to be okay with whatever happens. And right when you stop caring about your ego is when that scene is going to get good. And when you start really listening to what just happened and paying attention, everything you need to succeed is right there in front of you, everything. Mm -hmm. And that is something where, once again, you're talking about how do you actually rehearse for this? And part of that is putting these improvisers in situations that I know the scene's going to fail. We set them up with bad scenes on purpose just so that we can show them when times get rough, when things get rough in a scene, you go back to those basics. Listen to what just happened, right? Mm -hmm. we, we talked about how I established a scene where, um, you know, the brother's stuck in an air vent. So if, if not knowing anything, you have no idea what to do. If you're just, all, if all you did in that scene was go, not again, right? We, that shows so much, but you didn't really do anything. All you did was acknowledge what we've already established. And so that's what it is. Like, um, I'm trying to remember the performance you went to and if we had a, an, an example of it, but I have done scenes in performance where I was like, this is the worst scene suggestion I've ever heard in my entire life. And this audience is very stupid and they're mm -hmm. ruining this game. And still I'm like, but you know what? <laughs> Let's do it. Um, <laughs> and, and that is, I think, a, um, I actually think it's, it's both a dangerous improviser mentality and it's also a fantastic one. Dangerous in the way that I've seen improvisers that 
don't think you need to rehearse. They don't think you need to work on basic skills. They don't think you need to revisit yes and um, again. And if this happens, this concept of if this, then what? Um, or ideas like let's work on justification. Let's work on uh, narration. Uh, let's work on following beats and understanding how do we pull things from a monologue, some basic improv skills. And they'll just think I can just go to performance, performance, performance. Mm. And sometimes that can get messy because you get too comfortable. And with that, you know, is with improv, you've got these guidelines and these rules. And as I understand it, it's to make it successful, right? Like, is that the outcome or is it kind of like, so like my question is, if 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 someone goes outside of the guidelines but the audience finds it funny is that like what's the reaction to that from the improv community is that like is the ultimate goal just to be funny you know because i've heard stand-ups talk about this concept of like well you know what makes a joke good or not well if the audience laughs but with yeah. improv it's like you know because you probably could get a laugh just from being ridiculous and silly and at some level, isn't there, is there, is there something pure about how you do improv or is the goal just to get the laugh? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's absolute humor in saying no in, in rejecting someone's reality. So here, Bobby, stop. We're going to do a 10 second scene, establish something in this scene. Establish some, uh, like some sort of reality. Yeah. 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 Uh, what do you mean? That's okay. That's okay. So, um, so for example, just say where we are uh okay uh we are here at the mall no we're not we're in the jungle i don't see that's a tiger right there what's wrong with you are you hallucinating so so see right there like that was kind of funny because yeah. you're dumb right but but like at the same time where do we go from here now i have to justify why you're crazy and like it now it's now if like you're not really experiencing reality it's going to be focused on that Rather than we're in the mall, you had a great opportunity to be like, we're at the mall. I could hate the mall. Like, Mom, I don't want to go. Right? So it's like, we could create something beautiful. But instead of that, I decided to reject it. So yeah, you're right. At some level, it's kind of like, like you could still, let's say you take the jungle thing and run with it. And because you're funny, the, the audience laughs because it's hysterical. Yeah. But at some level, as, from a, as a teammate perspective, maybe you hijacked whatever idea I had with the mall. And beyond that, beyond that, that scene, if we really think about where it could go from there, by denying you in the beginning, by denying your reality, I've now made it so much harder for anything in that scene to make sense unless I start fixing things. And now I'm focused on fixing the communication error that we had that no one really cares about the scene. Eventually someone in the audience is going to stand up and go, stop talking about if he's crazy. I want to know about the mall, right? Like yeah. it, it's not, you never see a movie where the backgrounds, the scenery in the background is just changing location every 10 seconds because right. it doesn't matter. You show a house and then you show them in the house and then it's, oh my God, I'm pregnant. Like that's what we want to see. We want to see the human dynamics. It's how fast and how uh, I, I think, I mean, everyone has different opinions on improv at the end of the day, but I think it's how quickly can you get on the same page with the other person? Mm. I think that's what determines a a good start to a scene and what a good scene is is one do i believe you i think is very important 
Um, it's different in short form because in short form, it's how well you're playing the game. But in long form, it's also um, within the scene, are, are you building something that both people are on the same page for? Um, and are you having fun within that? Because a scene doesn't necessarily have to be funny. I've seen dramatic improv before that was really good. And I've seen some that was awful and I wanna erase it from my brain and I've tried to. <laughs> but you know, for, for the most part, I think what determines a good scene is how much those two people on stage just seem like they're in each, in each other's brain how you can really, and even if it's 10 people on stage, in fact, the more people on stage doing that, the more impressive it is. If you're coaching a, a troop, mm -hmm. is that what you call it? A troop improv? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> how much uh, uh, personal work are you doing with individuals? Do you have an individual that, you know, so for a sport, for example, uh, if you, at some age, by the time you get to college, you know, you're working with mm -hmm. college kids. By the time you get to college, if you are not, physically fast, uh, big enough to play your position, you don't have the natural ability, you're going to get cut. Is that yeah. true for, for improv? Do you have individuals that, that love it, want to do it, and it's just, you know what, this isn't for you? You don't seem to have the natural ability to, to get good at this? Because I definitely, from the outside looking in, it's easy to say, wow, it's just, you know, some, you, for example, first time I, I saw you perform, I remember you did, um, uh, Salisbury stand-up thing. Do you remember that? It was mm -hmm. like best last comic standing Salisbury. Yeah, um, yeah. You were the only comedian. I'm not inflating your ego with this statement. I will, but I'm not. No, please do. It. Um, you were the only uh, <laughs> comedian on stage that I felt like you kind of just belonged up there. Like you just had a sense of confidence about you in the way that you carried yourself. Um, mm -hmm. So even if a, a joke didn't land, it was, it's that comedian that has that sense of like, like your confidence is there. The audience almost laughs that it didn't land and you acknowledge yeah. this kind of thing. You're, you're playing with the audience. And mm -hmm. that is the biggest thing I noticed because we go to all sorts of comedy. We go to professional comedy, we go to amateur and that yeah, yeah. confidence is really the difference. And so is that, can can someone be taught that? Can they develop it? Or do you have times where it's just like, this isn't for you? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I actually get this question a lot um, because my uh, one of my friends is an improviser. He's a Marine and he, he did some special event for veterans and um, somebody went up to him and he was like, man, I can never do what you do. Like that's so nerve wracking. I don't know how you do that. And this guy was like a bomb defusal tech. This guy defuses <laughs> bombs for a living. And yet he's like, I could never get on stage and potentially fail. Right. And um and Joe, who's, who's the name of this individual, he, um, I think, embodies exactly what you're talking about of there's a lot of people that want to say they don't really care um, if they bomb or not or if they make. And when I say bomb, I mean, ironic <laughs> because I'm talking about a bomb. To do <laughs> um, uh, but that they, you know, can get up there and make a mistake, make mistakes, make a bad scene, not get any laughs. Um, there are some people that just legitimately don't care. And Joe, who's like been through so much as a Marine, he's like, hey, you know what? People aren't shooting at me. So this mm -hmm. is nothing, right? But there at the same time for me, it was nerve wracking at first. I was, I was very 
paranoid and very scared of of not doing a good job because I'm a perfectionist, which sounds very weird being an improviser. Um, but I um, I learned at a very young age because I was dyslexic. I'm not as naturally gifted as a lot of other people are um, in a lot of areas. But the one thing I have is work ethic. I learned work ethic very early on because I needed to work sometimes four times as hard as the student next to me just to get the same job done. Um, and so there are people where, and I, I've seen this because I've, I've been fortunate enough to have both, I've been classically taught in improv um, and now, um, and I've also like taught it that it depends on the individual and what the individual needs. Some people just need to go up there and you, you can see it just like I'm sure you've seen it in lacrosse. You're like, this game's not gonna go well this is going to fail and you're going to, and, and you have that choice as a, as a coach, what should be the bad part? Should it be me stopping it and then going, Hey, let's talk about this before anything bad happens. And then you're the bad person in that situation, because maybe that person isn't thinking about, Hey, the game went, was going to go fine. And you stopped it before I could fix it. Or my ego is telling me, I know that I'd be fine. And it was you that stopped it. You're the bad guy in that situation but you're trying to teach them something. So I often find sometimes some of the best things to do is to let that individual fail, mm -hmm. which is hard as a coach, but it, once they fail, they don't have much else to blame mm -hmm. besides themselves and maybe their scene partner. But that's when you as a coach can come in and say, Hey, let's talk about that. Why did that not work? Well, what did work well? And much like a sport, it a lot of times comes down to a lot of fundamentals. It comes down to, you know, there wasn't much establishing in the scene. Your partner um, was giving you an emotional in. They they gave you a look, and and that look that they were giving you was really indicating that they were scared of something. Why didn't you explore that in the scene? And sometimes you'll get people that are like, well, I was a we had this funny beat going, and I didn't want to mess with it. And it's like, well, okay, but you know what's better than a funny beat is something everyone in the scene can relate to and that's being scared mm -hmm. and that it's okay teaching someone that it's okay you don't have to be funny all you have to do is is truly believe what you're doing yeah. truly believe in the work of your partner and truly believe um that you're going to be okay that that person next to you is the smartest person in the room and that th that this is going to work and you have everything you need to succeed that and you teach them that through allowing them to fail and then breaking it down once they have failed. Mm -hmm. I think that's the way to be able to do that. But I do think, unfortunately, I hate saying this, there are some people where I think that it, I think there are some people where it would take a tremendous amount of work to get them there because mm -hmm. I think people have different insecurities that they bring into it or they have different things that they want to do. Um, I have somebody that I, I care about a lot um, and is a, a good friend. Um, and I've rejected this person off of an improv troupe like five times or six times because yeah. they, this is a performing art. Um, at the end of the day, I want the audience to have the best show possible. And sometimes that means you're not ready yet. It doesn't mean you'll never be ready, but it means right now you need more practice. You need more time failing. You need more time succeeding, more time really cognitively understanding what are the aspects, what makes a good scene? How do I come in strong? How do I come in confident? How do I come in to bring something to the table that everybody can work with? Yeah. I, it, you know, 
in the world of youth, not to tie everything to athletics for me. But no, but no, but please do. It's very similar. Youth and athletics, you know, what you're, we, the, the concept of like long-term athlete development is trying to teach coaches to exactly what you just said. Let the players try, let the players fail, let the players just figure things out for themselves. I often mm -hmm. laugh and say, you know, specifically like for soccer, because it's a pretty on paper, simple sport. I, I, I love taking, I love for the most part, if it's an athletic family, it's rare that the kid has never seen or heard of soccer, but I'd love to get a bunch yeah. of people who've never heard of it, never seen it, never played it, put a ball in the middle of the field and say, the objective is for your team to get that ball and that goal, you guys to stop it and vice versa, go. And that's it. And offer no other instruction because yeah. there's research to back this up. You, you develop more habits, you develop better strategies, you, you learn for yourself what to do instead of getting caught up in the minutia of what you're supposed to do. And so right. I think that's phenomenal. And then even when I learned to do the, the training work that I do, uh, Ryan, who I work with, he, he trained me in the particular program that we do, part of a leader training and part of a team. And, and uh, we set up processes and it can go horrible if the facilitator doesn't know what they're doing and uh um and and so you know it was probably a while before he let me run a process and i remember the first time he let me run one of the processes and it didn't go horrible but it was right on the edge it was it was a group <laughs> that did really well uh, long yep. client and and great great group of students so we knew it wouldn't go horrible Right. All the students were good. And so Ryan, I set up the process and Ryan and I walk out of the room for like five minutes and then we come back kind of thing. And when we're in the hallway, he looks at me and he goes, how do you think that went? And I go, I don't know. Like, I just, good. And he goes, it'll be good because that group's good. And I go, yeah, that's true. And he goes, but with a different group, I go, oh God, with a different group. Like I felt in my stomach, I'm like, this would have been horrible. And he goes, yeah. that's how you do it. Because I want you to feel that right now so that you, you, you make your own adjustments because I wasn't yeah. even at the weight it deserved at the time. He would say to me, you know, here's what you need to do. And I think part of me was like, okay, I hear you, but do I really need to say every word? And, and once you're in a moment of potentially failing, then you start to appreciate why that matters. Uh, yeah. There's a little weight to it. And it's it's interesting that that um you bring up like hearing but like not really hearing mm -hmm. um because i remember um when i was at the dc improv i was uh one of my teachers sean westfall who's who's um phenomenal um was teaching me and a whole group of students improv and stuff like that and i'd already been doing improv for a long time now right it's so like five years and and i um and he was like going through stuff. And I remember there was a scene where um, there was all these people that were coming and singing, right? All, all these people. And I come to the scene, they're all like singing and taking turns. I'm um, singing to this one person. And I came in and I was like, the scene doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense yet. I, I don't know why all these people are singing. I need to give it context. I need to give it uh, wait, why does this matter? Why are we watching this, right? It's just like a scene in a film, right? The fight in Rocky matters because of who Rocky is and what he's trying to prove. I got to make this mean something. So I walk into the scene and then I'm like, guys, you don't have to sing to this guy so that he'll sell you marijuana. What, what, are, you, what are you doing at this point? Like, just pay for it like a normal person, right? And then they were like, well, no, this is, he told us the things we're doing. I'm like, I know what he said, but come on, come on, get out of my apartment, just pay for your drugs and leave, right? And that was like our scene. And I was really, really happy with it. 
And Sean Westfall let it go through, and then he goes, that was the biggest case of macro-level denial I've ever seen in my life. And not, I'm not sure if it's exactly word for word, but that's how it felt. <laughs> when, and he definitely said macro-level denial. And I was just like, I, yeah, I was devastated. I was like, no, I was like, I was so happy with my choice. I was so excited about this. I was like, this is crazy. And I talked to Mateo, who I used to do Salisbury Improv with. And I was like, what did you think, man? He's like, yeah, that's totally wrong and all that stuff. And I talked to Sean afterward. I was like, yeah, explain that to me. He's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. He's like, you're fine. It's just, it's just something to think about. Really think about if somebody is doing something in a scene, just, just go with them. I was just like, whatever, man. What? And then I remember it was like a week of me thinking about this thing and thinking about this thing. And then it was like, when we got into performance, there was a similar thing that happened where it was a whole group of people. They were all pitching ideas at a board meeting and I wanted, it didn't have context again. And then I was like, well, I need to give a context and you do the same thing. And then I thought about it and I was like, no, you know what? I'm just going to pitch an idea. So then I just pitched an idea and the scene was phenomenal. And I was like, oh my God, it works if you don't do that. And then I really started thinking about what Sean said. And there's a huge difference between listening to hear you. Like right now I can hear you, Bobby. I can hear what you're saying. I can hear the words. I can repeat them back. I can even imitate the way you're saying it. Then listening with the intent to change. And that is a, a huge and phenomenal difference. Because if if I had really listened to Sean Westfall with the intent to change, I might learn, I might've learned that phenomenal lesson that if you walk into a scene and really listen to what it is someone else is doing or what someone else is giving you and allow that to affect you, you don't need to work at all. I, I, I'm, I'm right there. It's we're good. <laughs> That's really good. So listening with, so when you say listening with the intent to change, you mean yourself, like listening to yes. his advice, his words, his whatever, with the intent. Mm -hmm. I've never heard it said that way. I, you know, in the, in the world of, of personal development, they'll talk about active listening. Are you listening? Right. Are you listening uh, to, to add, when you're listening, when you're listening to someone, are you thinking of the next question you want to ask or are right. you, and you're just listening to them. And I love the nuance of listening with the intent to change because now that with the intent is important because it doesn't mean you're allowed to disagree with someone. You're allowed to disagree. You're allowed to walk away from that and still say, you know, I disagree with what Sean had to say. But if you listen yeah. with the intent to change, you're so much more open-minded to at least fleshing out what does he mean by this to the point where you test it out later. You could have tested it out in that boardroom scene and still decided, you know what, I like what I did in the last one. And yeah. you test it out and say, now I get, now I get what his point is, and I get what he's saying. Right. And 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 to be fair, when I really think about that scene, I, I really digest it because I do this all the time. I do a scene and I will dissect it for hours. Um, that's the perfectionist side of me. But like, um, it could have been good either way. I think that if I gave it context, it could also be really good. But it was Sean really showed me in that moment that you can just walk in and have no plan, have no idea because I was walking in with a head full of ideas of what do I need to do and cognitively and thinking about all this stuff. And as I'm thinking about all that, I'm not present. Mm -hmm. I'm not 
right here. I'm not in the moment. What I'm doing instead is I'm thinking about being a director, being a writer. Where's the story going? Where is this being written? Is this going to have a payoff for the audience as opposed to just being right there? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's it's funny because um, there was this actress I was working with um, before all this wonderful stuff happened um, <laughs> where she had a role in which she had to cry. Um, and she was really, really nervous about doing it. And she's a phenomenal actress. And she was like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta cry in this, uh, moment. And like, it's hard. Cause it wasn't like a traditional cry. A lot of times you're crying cause you're sad. You're crying cause you're upset. And you can kind of pull that from your experiences or things that have happened. Um, but this, uh, woman was re- was crying because she was playing a character that was, um, a lesbian. Um, and, she it was just taking place in like the 90s and so it was like where it was not really super cool to be gay yet and um people weren't really accepting of it still in, in that because it was also set in the south and it was a story of this woman that created like a gay club for high school and it was a huge deal that this was happening because it really challenged a lot of people's opinions and this is the climax of the film where she actually like achieves it and she had to have a happy cry which is really, it's, you're so elated, you're crying. That's yeah. difficult to achieve because it's in opposition to what we would normally think. And so what I did was um, through a Meisner technique, which is one of the acting methods that I, I've, I've been trained in, um, you calm that person down and you almost get them into like a meditative state right? Where you really focus on breathing, really focus on like just focusing on what is being said and nothing else. And then I just talk to her about how this woman is a real person and she's going to see your performance and how she didn't have a voice for such a long time. And you're giving her that voice. You're allowing her message to be heard. And that's a beautiful thing. And then right when we got right when, and I saw it connect, I saw her connect with the actual words I was saying with, with intent, because I put her in a state so that she would be intent to change. Mm -hmm. Right. And letting go of all the scene breakdowns we did and all that stuff. And she just started crying. And then I was like, okay, let's roll camera. Like, like, because she's in that place now. And then it was just like, if, being open to what someone else's ideas are to what they have to say can lead you to results you didn't expect and to results that are absolutely beautiful in their own right. Mm-hmm. So I think so many people are scared to change. Mm-hmm. They're, they're scared because they like who they are and that's, that's great. I mean, it's, it's great to like who you are. Um, and it doesn't mean like, Hey, you're pro-choice. I'm going to make you pro-life. Give me 10 minutes. Like it, it, it's, it's little things like it's hearing if if you come in and, and you're saying something that's like, and I go, Hey, Bobby, how are you? And you're like, I'm fine. You're not fine. Mm-hmm. But I hear you say I'm fine. And then I go, okay, Bobby's fine. All right, keep on going. But, but you're not. And for me to actually hear you and what you're experiencing now it makes me want to make sure you're okay. Mm-hmm. And if we're just open to allowing someone to affect us, it, there's a confidence in that. There's yeah. a, 
uh, there's a vulnerability that that requires. Um, that's that's so important. The, some of the best actors I've ever seen are not the smartest. They're not the most talented. Sometimes they don't even know their lines. <laughs> it's it's the it's the actor that is willing to put themselves aside and to be open to whatever that partner is giving them. Mm. Like that's the person you want to work with. One of the most uh, one of the things that I absolutely love and one of I think the most inspirational things I've ever heard about improv that really sums it up, I think to someone that maybe isn't involved in the art or doesn't quite get it um, is actually a story from SNL. Cause a lot of those individuals are actually improv trained and they come from really big improv places. Um, and uh, there was a, a sketch that they used to do, I think with uh, Jim Belushi, don't quote me on it, um, where he's like a samurai and he has like a, a sword and, and Jim Belushi was phenomenal, but at the same time, kind of crazy, a little sexist, but mostly crazy. And um, <laughs> he, he used to, he had like this like samurai sword. And so it's supposed to be like a prop and everything, but he like insisted on having a real samurai sword, which would never be okay now. But for some odd reason, then they were like, cool, let's give the guy who does drugs, the samurai sword. Yeah. So they did it. And he's like doing this sketch and they has like some dramatic actor on and he's doing it and they're doing it live and he cuts him like on his head. And it was like enough where like the sketch is over and they go to commercial when they like necessarily didn't want to. So he's like bleeding and they're trying to take care of it. And like, it's at a point where they're like, Hey, we can't stop the bleeding before the commercial break. Like, what do you want to do? He's got to be in the next sketch. So they're like, well, you know, just give him a butterfly bandage and we'll just make it through it. So they give him a butterfly bandage. Right. And what happened next was one of the cast members saw that he had like a bandage on his head. So then they went in and they had a bandage on their, on their hand, they wrapped their hand. So they're like, Hey, you know, we're in this together. Like if, if you're going to have a bandage, I'm going to have a bandage and we're going to make it look like it's cohesive. Right. And then somebody else like saw that sketch and saw that they did this and was like, well, you know what? Well, I'm going to put my arm in a sling for this next sketch. And then the next person was like, well, I'm going to come out on crutches to do weekend update. And the next person's like, well, uh, and Chevy Chase eventually was like, I'm going to put myself in almost as much of a full body cast as we can for like this next thing. And so it was like all of them saying that when you hurt, I hurt. And that when something happens to you, it's not just you, it happens to me too. And that we are a team no matter what happens. And it, it was, they took this thing that should have been an accident, that should have been horrible, that should have been, you know, possibly stop the show, possibly mm -hmm. get Jim Belushi kicked off of the show. And instead they made it a beautiful metaphor about why improv is, is so incredibly magical and why it's so different is because we recognize that mistakes aren't mistakes. All it is is an opportunity to make something great. Mm -hmm. But you have to get over you and you have to get over the situation to make that happen. And yeah. that sometimes involves, I guess, wearing a full body cast. But like, you know, <laughs> you are making a self-sacrifice because someone else did. And that's that part of that almost military mentality that I think is a reason a lot of people, not a lot of people, but 
there are some fantastic improvisers that I know of that turns out, hey, they were a Marine or hey, they're in the Air Force. And because you get that brotherhood kind of sense about it and it is really beautiful and you see it work. And when it doesn't work, that's a bad show. Don't go see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's honestly, that's what I wanted to dive into. And I think we have, but I also want to make sure, um, you know, we say, you say you bring to this, what you want to bring to it in terms of, you know, we started to talk a little bit in the other, in the other conversation about kind of the mental health benefits, you name it, of improv. Obviously, mm -hmm. there's analogies that you brought up, but you mentioned the blog um, that you had, you were a part of, and I actually found, um, I found some other stuff just doing like some quick research on uh, researches. I heard someone, maybe it was, I don't know what podcast it was, but they get on people for using the word research when you're just Googling something once. So I didn't do research, but I did a Google search, <laughs> um, and there's tons of stuff about kind of like improv and self-care and, and just the, 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 the things you can pull from it, whether it's the brotherhood or the community, or even just the, like you said, there's really, you know, it's not about, it, it's permission to fail and, yeah. and knowing that we're going to, we're going to be there with you. Um, so what was, what was, uh, I guess, what was your, what was your blog about? What was your kind of, what did you talk about in regards to this? Um, so, so the blog was, uh, somebody reached out and they were like, Hey, I'm doing a blog uh, just about mental health and improv. You know, how can we, you know, if anybody has any stories or you hear anything, you know, just, just let me know. I apologize. I'm working from home guys. Let me, can you hear that dog or no? I heard it <laughs> once. It's not that okay. big of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want to make sure. No, 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 great no. podcast. I mean, so that dog came on. Um, unless the dog needs help. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> it's smart um <laughs> figure it out um anyway. <laughs> Andy, the podcast went well but the dog died um uh but like so they like reached out to a bunch of improvisers that, that i knew and um they were like hey you have any good things about mental health and improv let me know it's like yeah i got a good one they're like okay well what is it i was like it's super heavy like, that's fine. What is it? I was like, well, uh, my, uh, the day my mom died, I went to improv rehearsal and they were and <laughs> just kind of like, see, mother's like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Oh my God. And I was like, no, 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 no. But I want to, I want to tell you this. So, yeah. um, essentially the, the day that my, that I, my mom had, had um, been, you know, we, this is not like unexpected. This is, we expected this to happen, unfortunately. And, um, and I, my, I adore my mom. She is a, a wonderful, wonderful person. I feel that so many of the fantastic qualities, at least people tell me I have, um, you know, come from her, um, directly. And she's very, very impactful on me. And when she passed, I remember that day, I just kind of felt like I wasn't here. I, I felt, um, very much so in shock. I wasn't sad. I wasn't upset. I just, I didn't know how to human that day. Like I was surprised I was like walking around and everything. And uh, I, I knew I had improv rehearsal that night. We had this big show, this really big show that was coming up and I was super excited for it. And we really needed to rehearse, which I know sounds silly. You're rehearsing for improv, that's planning. Okay. But like, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it, it's really, really important to go. And I was debating, should I cancel it? Should I not? And I eventually just decided to do it. So I, I went, um, and I didn't, I remember getting in the parking lot and I'm like, maybe I should go because like, I'm a, maybe I'll freak out on stage or I'll cry or there'll be something awful and I'll cause a scene. And then when I got there, you know, everybody's there and they're like, Hey, how are you? 
and I had like a decision to make. Um, am I, should I be honest in this moment? Um, hey, my mom died. How are you? Uh, like, or, or do I, you know, lie and make everyone feel comfortable? Um, and I was on the stage when they asked me. And as stupid as it sounds, <laughs> I was like, this, this stage that we're on, it's so important to be honest on this stage that when you're doing scenes and when, when you're, when you're having moments that, yeah, like we're making things that are funny, but also it's really, really important to really portray human aspects. We might be doing a scene where, where Kevin has been eaten by a dragon, but at the same time, it's a scene about grief. It's a scene about loss and there's humanness in that. And so I decided to be human and I, I mustered up all of the horrible anxiety situations that were happening in my head. And I was like, well, my mom died today and people were like, oh my God, I'm so sorry to, to hear that. Like, are you okay? And I was like, I really thought about it and nobody freaked out. You know, the, the room didn't catch on fire. I'm still standing. Uh, you know, all, all the fecal matter is still in my body. So I was like, this is like good. I, I'm okay. And, and, and I was replied, I was like, I'm okay. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm weirdly okay. And then we, we did warm ups and we started doing um, improv scenes. And I remember it was like halfway through like the first warm up that we were doing where all we're doing is just like listing, we're making up reasons to something. So it's just like, why are you here? Oh, because I couldn't go anywhere else better to go. Why are you here? Because it's free. You're just making up reasons why you're here. And about through my, out of the five reasons I'm supposed to give about, I got to the third one. And I like forgot all about how awful what has happened to me and what the future is going to be and when the funeral is going to be and what I'm going to do and who I'm going to go to for advice. And, you know, what about when I want to buy a house, who do I talk to and, and how does life move forward now? And I forgot all of it. Mm -hmm. And all I was focused on was what the last person said and being right there and being present. And it was, it was like a, a, beautiful vacation from my grief for, for just two hours. And then when I left, I felt human again. Like mm -hmm. I felt like everything really is going to be okay. Life is going to go on. I'm, I'm going to, we're still going to do this show. We're going to have a packed house. We are going to do incredible work. And you know what? I'm going to, I get to keep doing the thing I love. And like that matters. That's what she would have wanted. And, and this is, this is all good. And afterward, yeah, there was times I was upset and I was sad and I was crying and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. But I got a vacation from what was really happening for a moment. And it helped me to put in perspective what was happening. And it, it gave me, I think part of the reason that improv specifically helped me in that moment was because I got to play characters experiencing grief. I got to play characters that were angry at what was happening or what was happening that was unfair or they were being, you know, mistreated or even mad at God. I remember there was a specific scene where somebody was mad at God specifically. And it was like, 
it, it made me express so many things I was feeling in a way where no one's like, what are you, why are you yelling about God in the grocery store? What is wrong with you? Instead, it was like a safe right. place to actually express it. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, you mentioned just the kind of vacation and, and what I like about that, how you described it. Cause people talk about that. You know, what I had written down in my notes was your passion is your outlet, you know, whatever yeah. your passion is, that's your outlet. And what I like about what you just said too, though, is, uh, when you, when you left it, you kind of realize it, it was a reminder to you that life will move on. And, 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 and things will get better and you, this show will happen. And that doesn't take away from what you're currently experiencing and, and all of that. And what you'll continue to experience with the loss of your mom. And, and at the same time, it's just like right there in that moment, you're thrown into like something that is still going on, still happening. Uh, and, and you still enjoy it and you still lose yourself in it. And I think that is, I'm not, I am not an expert in grief. And, and I know just from my own experiences at that moment when you're grieving, that moment when you lose yourself for the first time in whatever you're doing in, in, in improv in your sport and having a conversation where you start laughing and it's kind of a reminder to yourself like, Oh, okay. Like I will start to feel happy again. And, and the, I, again, I'm not an expert. I'm not, this is not like a diagnosis for people, but like oh, you man. said, like the faster you can do it, then, then I think the better, like you, like you said, you went because it's like, what else? Like this is not only do you want to do it, but these people are also depending on you um, yeah. for the show. And, and that was the other thing was I didn't want to go. That was the other funny thing about it. This is something I love too. And I did not want to go. The yeah. reason I went was because I, I, I have to be there for them. Mm-hmm. This, you know, they didn't lose something today. Uh, yeah, I lost something huge, but like, this is important for them and they should have this and, and we need to work together because this thing is still going to come up. I just, I thought I was going to limp through it. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be so much for me that I, I didn't even realize it. Like it, it was incredibly cathartic um, to have that. And, and you're right, you know, being able to lose yourself um, in those moments was that, that realization because when, when something awful happens to you, I don't know about, you know, what you do or what other people do, but like, it's hard sometimes to get out of that tunnel. It's, it's hard to, to remind yourself that, you're not going to be in there forever and that eventually something is going to change. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, sometimes that could be just worse and you like to, and sometimes, you know, we focus on that aspect of it, but just being there at that time really showed me that there is light and sometimes you can touch it and it's okay if you're still in that tunnel for a little bit longer, but you know, it's not going to be forever. So I'm going to jump in here because Wyatt and I talked for over three hours for this interview uh, over over two separate conversations to put together what I was able to distill down to an hour and a half podcast of, of our conversation. So there really was no easy transition out of the last conversation, which was incredibly powerful. And I was appreciative of Wyatt sharing that experience with us and moving into the next conversation 
conversation that I'm going to jump you into where we are talking about some of the principles that you can pull out of improv, specifically as this conversation gets started, the concept of just kind of forcing something. You know, in improv, you're forcing something to be funny instead of just going with the flow of of the the scene that you're in. You're forcing it instead of just kind of going with the flow, which I think is a great analogy for life, especially in this 2020, going to be 2021 world that we're all living in. So I'll let you jump back in to my conversation with Wyatt. And I think in, in general, that, that idea of, of trying to force something to work, um, you know, I see it on stage all the time. I see it where, because um, you know, I work with people of, of all different levels in, in improv and I will see people trying to get something so badly to happen that no matter what that person does, no matter what it says, they're going to force it into some kind of fart joke. And it doesn't matter what the scene is about. They're gonna, they have this hilarious joke and they're gonna make it work. And and then when they get off stage, if it doesn't happen, they're just mad. And then later on, you know, you break it down with them and you're like, hey, you know, what's going on? You know, why are you, why are you upset? And they're like, oh, I had this like perfect thing. And it was gonna be so funny. It was gonna be so good. And then I have a conversation with them about like, but you ignored everything else that was happening. The, that you were so obsessed with this, this, because it, it is selfish, this selfish idea you had of this joke that you created, that you directed, that you're going to act in, that you're, you're performing at all of the levels. And you will never see that happen. It's the death of a wonderful idea that, that could have never, that never even got a chance to exist. And what a crime that is. But at the same time, you had a million and a half opportunities in front of you that you allowed to disappear. And any, and you start realizing that anything that happens, that any opportunity you get can be something amazing. There's a time I was on stage and um, I had this hilarious thing and I, I got on stage and I sat in a chair and then um, I had to scoot it up because it, it didn't make any sense. So I scoot the chair up and I sit down and then Rob, the guy who was in the scene next to me, he, he then... I'm ahead of him. So he takes his chair and he scoots it up to me. And then I take my chair and I scoot it up further. And then he takes his chair and he scoots it up further. And this whole scene was just us scooting our chairs forward. This was, that was all that we did for like the first 30 seconds of this scene, not saying anything, not establishing anything. That's all we were doing. And everyone knew that, what we were doing is we were like competing against each other. What turned out to be, we had like the world's smallest TV and we're trying to get a better view of it. And he, we keep blocking each other's view. But like, regardless of that, I went to the scene with this great idea and immediately killed it. I immediately got rid of it because Rob had something beautiful. And, and it takes a certain level of confidence to understand that 
the most beautiful idea doesn't have to be one that you came up with, but it's one that mm. we came up with and it's organic and to say yes and explore and to go, let's keep going. Let's find what's next. Like, and I don't know where I'm going, but I'm trusting you and you're going to help me get there. And then when you do that, the other person's doing the same thing, the most beautiful things that ever happen. Like in that moment, I felt like Rob and I were sharing the same brain and, and it is amazing when that happens. So as you've, as you've beautifully described improv at its best, did you still want to try a scene? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. You want to see that's worse? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's do it. No, I would love to. My God, it's my favorite. Yeah. I don't, if you want to do it, I'll let you kind of lead the, this portion. You take it, you, you describe what you got in mind or what, or we'll rock and roll. <laughs> so, so it'd be yeah it's interesting doing improv over over this medium too just because on top of that people are listening to this through podcasts so it's going to be audio only also potentially for right. a lot of people yeah yeah i mean i i have the video recorded um and uh oh. you, you could launch it yeah i won't well, <laughs> your background is good don't worry about it uh, <laughs> you could launch we could launch it on youtube but yeah it's gonna launch to the podcast yeah um it's just audio so yeah 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 <laughs> no no i i would i would absolutely love to do it um okay so um so what we're gonna about to do um i'm gonna tell you that again because i immediately flopped it jeez i suck at this okay Keep that so <laughs> what we're about to do uh is some actual improv for individuals that may not know what this is so um bobby and i uh, have not planned this out. None of this is written. None of this has been rehearsed at all. Um, we are just going to be making up a scene um, off the top of our head. Um, and in order to do this, because I, I want to be fair um, to everybody, uh, I have this already in my phone because this is already um, very, very useful to have is a random word generator. So oh, I'm just going to grab a random word okay apologize there's an ad i have to watch okay <laughs> so we're gonna get a random word and then we're gonna go from there all right our word is star okay star <laughs> Oh, wow. You see that? See what? The uh, Christmas tree star. Oh, yeah. It's like huge. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like the biggest star I've ever seen in like, my whole life. How'd you get it up there? I jumped. No, you didn't. No, I did. I jumped. Jumped, dude. I got yeah. I got like I got some verts, man. Dude, I could I like easily. I could jump like what four feet? No problem. Straight up. Four feet. Four feet in the air. Yeah, you can count them. One, two, three, four. Up. Done. Man, what's that like a four feet? Yeah. Small, small car, a bike. Smoke. Oh yeah, easily. Dude, I, could a a I could jump, jump over a car. I could jump over a bike. I could jump. Yeah, yeah. I could jump over um, like a, a like a cone. 
I could jump over like a some you got your brothers in kindergarten. I could jump him. I could jump um, fire hydrant. I, what do you got, man? I'll jump it. I got my brother in kindergarten. Let's let's Wait. jump. Prove it. Like right, you want me to literally jump right now, your brother? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I can do that. Let's bring your brother out, and I'm gonna jump over him, dude. All right. All right. Cool. All right. He's he's kind of big for a kindergartner, though, right? Yeah, yeah. He's like six feet. Okay, but I can do that. You, you said you jump. You said you could jump him, though. Right. No, I can't. I can jump. Whatever you know, you get a running call. start if you want. Yeah, it'd be great. I'll, I'll make sure he doesn't move. Um. Okay. So this is like uh fifty feet. Um. You know what might help me? I'm not used to like jumping, you know, off of uh, nothing. So what if we put down like a like a bo- a big box and then I jump off of that, then jump off your brother. To jump over him off the box out of the ground then over nope not on the ground part just off the box over your brother you know because i'm showman i like i like to show off so it's like a trick shot it's like whoa he's off a box? box yeah it's like a trick shot how tall is the box i don't know like two feet give or take so that would make your jump four feet listen man I can't jump very high. <laughs> See, <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, but I mean, like, um, so that was improv right there. Yeah. That's what we did. See, we can, yeah. we can be an SNL now. There we go. Let's do it. <laughs> That's the takeaway. <laughs> it's so weird not to like actually like be like running and, and getting a, a, a jump start on this whole thing. It is kind of funny because as we're building that, you know, you, you've been talking the whole time about improv and mm-hmm. as we're building that, you do kind of lose yourself in, in, in it. And I could see going for, like, just if you're just screwing around with your friends or even, but I've seen, like I said, you, that one time I went to UCB in, in LA and it was like one thing for an hour. Yeah. And, and after a while, you kind of just start to appreciate what these folks are doing and laughing at that. Like, it's not anything overtly, it's not a joke. It's not a one-liner. It's just these people playing in this, in this, like you said, imaginary world. And yeah. It, it's the, um, one of the people that I do improv with all the time, um, we have these very, very bad Al Pacino impressions that are very funny to us because it's become to a point where it's like not Al Pacino anymore, where you just walk around and you're like, oh, someone is real pissed off right and it's just like it's not how he it's like you can kind of hear it but it is not al pacino anymore yeah and we will just be around each other and one of us will randomly be like oh and then we just know we're now in the al pacino scene and in this world the only rule is al pacino is a clone of himself and their roommates and everything is based off of that. So it's just very real 
like almost like marital problems Al Pacino has with himself, which sounds super bizarre. And I can see the look on your face. Like, why are you even talking about this? Right. But it's like, <laughs> it is, it's, it's funny because that's how we play. Like that is like, oh, we're having a good time and that's what we do when we're around each other. And it's so weird probably to everyone else, but we've literally been doing this scene for like six months off and on. And so you're right. Like you can go forever. And it is weird to think about like as a child, you do this all the time. How many times did you play Ninja Turtles when you were a kid or Power Rangers? Like, and, and it's weird that we almost forget how to do it. And, and improv yeah. kind of teaches you teaches like normal people that have learned these rules of society, how to get back to that state a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's almost as, you know, when you're like, you bring up the point of when you're a kid and you're playing, whether it's action figures or you're dressed up and you're playing, let's say Ninja Turtles, you know, you're throwing ideas out there and scenes out there and whatever out there. And you're not really concerned what anyone's going to think of it. I think the only time the kids will get in an argument is same with improv when what you're doing is completely out of scene or in the wrong context or whatever. And the kids might, you know, what are you doing? That's not what we said. And, uh, and, and it's true, you know, that we teach in our trainings that, uh, between the ages and the numbers change. I always make this like, I, I am overly probably cautious to let people know we're not psychologists. We're not trying to be, we're not pretending to be, um, but uh, it's somewhere like between the ages of like zero and 12 or something like that. Um, you care about what your parents think of you. And after that, you care about what your peers think of you. And, and that's when, you know, I always say that's the, you know, middle school, high school time period when you start to care about what other people think of you. And it can be debilitating. You know, maybe there's some good things about it, but it's also very debilitating. And when you're a kid, you are just kind of yourself and, and, and plan and ideas and, and then you're just kind of free for all. And at some level, what's been fun about being a fan of improv and is, is seeing, like you said, it is people that are just, you are just, you can play with this Al Pacino idea every time you get together with this person. Right. And, 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 and just, just have fun with it and and that's that's that kind of because there's so when you become an adult there's very, very few places that allow you to do that um you know really let alone outside of an improv type environment that allow you to just do that kind of thing i've seen people that are just so reserved and like so almost shy and almost scared to put out ideas in real life because of fear of what their peers will think, or maybe they think they're a weirdo, or maybe they think they're, you know, have unusual ideas or people won't accept them for who they really are. So they don't speak up and they're, they're not assertive and they're not themselves. And I watch them take a class um, or I watch them show up to improv rehearsal or I work with them and not through my own doing by any means, but just from getting out there and you have to throw out ideas. You have to be present. You, the, like, imp no improv scene is going to work if it's just one person that's there in that moment giving out ideas. It has to be both people engaged. And you get so used to that, that after a while, you start realizing people like my ideas. And then you keep doing it and you're like, some people don't like these ideas. And then you keep going and then you're like, but even the ideas that they don't like, I can fix them. And they like the dark thoughts. They like the happy thoughts. They like the serious thoughts. They like the dramatic parts. They like 
the human parts. They like the funny parts. They like the whimsical parts. I think people might like me. Mm-hmm. And and there's you watch these people literally transform into being more assertive, into being more okay with their own thoughts and ideas. In a way, I would imagine that almost that is probably similar in stand-up, where you go out there and you literally get applause and laughter over the things that you are creating, and you feel the moments when no one laughs and you want them to. And that reinforcement really teaches you it's okay to be you. And there's mm-hmm. beauty in that. Uh, one of the things in improv that happens all the time is you'll see people do monologues. So they'll get a word and then they do a monologue off of it. And when I was first learning this, they were like, yeah, we want you to be honest when you, when you get up there and you do monologues. And I remember Sean Westwall telling me that and I was like, what does this guy know? That is dumb. I'm not doing that. I'm an improviser. I'm going to make stuff up because I can make up the greatest story in the world, right? The greatest stories ever told were not ones that were real. They're ones that are fake. That's what Star Wars is, buddy. And Luke Skywalker is great. And then like, I, so I would kind of lie on stage and no one really knew it. And then after a while, I was like, you know what? Let me actually be honest. Let me actually do a monologue that's like, honest and that's the basis for all the scenes you're about to see and then when i started doing it i started realizing that like my life's actually interesting i don't think that it is i don't think that my life is super interesting and i think i'm a and i do think that i'm a bit of an oddity but then i started being like actually people kind of care about what i have to say what i have to think and yeah i'm i'm not normal but none of us are Mm -hmm. and that's there's beauty in that. And so one of the things I always try to get down to in improv, the more I work with someone is to let go and to, to really, to do something. And I tell people this on stage all the time. I'm like, do something in this, in this scene we're about to do. You've never done before. Do something, you know, is going to be bad. And I promise you, you're going to discover something about yourself as you do it. And you're going to discover something about the art as you do it. Because setting yourself up to push past a boundary, you're now doing it in front of people. So you got to sink or swim. And that survival instinct is going to kick in. And I promise you, you're going to create something beautiful from that. Mm-hmm. So how do people, you know, do you have it, you know, when obviously right now, we're recording this during uh, oh god we are lockdown yeah we're recording yeah. um uh, uh, and we'll probably we'll probably launch it during during lockdown quarantine but when we're out of this um or do you have you know i years ago i signed up for a baltimore improv group mm-hmm. uh class and i actually i went to two classes and then just with my travel schedule was never able to go to another one so yeah, yeah. Uh, they kindly gave my money back but it was uh it was it was i was super excited to do it and part of why i i signed up for it was um this was when i had first started speaking and i wanted to loosen up on mm-hmm. stage and I, I had started to do more facilitation and team building kind of work at the time and I wanted to be able to just like everything you just talked about I wanted to do more and get better at it and and um and so I what I found there was I think everybody there was there for just fun or personal growth and development no one was there because they wanted to eventually be a professional improviser you know right and and so do you have like do you have 
do you guys offer anything like that at AACC? Do you recommend any, like if someone's looking to just do it for those reasons, do you point them in? I know you've done work with like DC Improv. Um, is there anyone you would kind of recommend? Me? Um, no. Well, there you go. There. How did they get a hold of you? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> um, um, no, I mean, you know, we're on the event pages of AACC. You can see the meetings when and we're on a community college that is, well, you know, when it's actually running um, because right yeah. now we're at a hiatus. It's so sad. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like uh, people that are interested in, in learning more and, and growing, I think not only as someone that does public speaking, but just as a person, my goodness, the lessons, the valuable life lessons about how you don't matter as much as the group. Uh, life lessons about how no matter what happens, you're going to be okay. And about how turn something, you can always turn something awful into something beautiful if you're open to it. And how don't deny what you're feeling. Use it. Like these lessons that took me forever to learn, the beauty of saying yes and not saying no to everything, of working with someone instead of trying to always work against them, um, and, to, and that everyone has struggles and everyone has motivations. These are beautiful things to learn. They, uh, one of the best places I think to learn this is there are probably local improv groups no matter where you are if, if you look for them. Um, but you know, here I'm based in Maryland, so obviously I'm going to know these a lot more. Um, but I know the DC Improv is is a beautiful, beautiful institution that unfortunately is taking a, a bit of a hit right now because of of all this stuff. Um, but there are fantastic teachers there. Uh, Chris Ulrich's there, and I know him personally. He's phenomenal. I'm sure he would love to help anybody that wanted to take a class there. Um, I hear great things about Baltimore Improv Group. There are fantastic things about Washington Improv um, Theater, which is WIT, um, you know, and I know a lot of people out of there. I know Pete Bergen is a fantastic uh, improvising coach um, and teacher of it. But yeah, absolutely. There are so many places. I guarantee no matter where you are, there's an improv troupe somewhere. Can anybody, so with AACC, do you have to be a student there to join your group? Or is, you don't. How does that work? Okay. So we actually have open rehearsals because um, I, I firmly believe that if you want to learn this art or get experience in it or just watch it, you know, you don't have much to do. It is all voluntary basis. I never, ever say, you're doing this scene, get up here. Um, you know, they can always come by and just see it a little bit and experience it. And some people, you know, are just watch and that's all they do. And they do that for like, you know, a few months and then they're like, Hey, can I try this scene? And mm -hmm. like, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, we have open rehearsals. We're, we're part of the community. We're proud of that. So anybody can come obviously for the shows and stuff like that. I select individuals to be able to come because we want to put on the best show ever because I, you know, when we're performing, we're advertising and we're showing what this art can be. And I always want people to have a really positive experience with improv. So I always want people that are prepared for improv. So that's the reason I select them to go. But yeah, anybody can go to rehearsals. And how do people find, uh, I, for both of them, how do they find uh, your AACC, obviously in normal times, um, yeah. uh, to, to either like join it in that aspect or or to watch it um so they would probably contact the aacc uh student run theater because that's what we are a part of because i do think that's okay. important to work with the students um that we have there um and also you could find it on the event page at aacc you could also email the theater department um just about hey i want to get involved in improv um at anaerobic community college and and we'd be able to help you out from there but just in general if people 
want to get involved in improv and don't know where to get started or want to see a show or something like, you know, I'm on Facebook. Like you can always message me or, or, or ask me and I'll absolutely help you out. I, I love this art and I will, I think it deserves more credit. I know people think we, that I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm not. It's very, very different. That is its own brutally difficult art. Um, you know, but what we do, I think, legitimately enriches lives um as silly and hallmarky as that sounds um but but in general support local comedy support local um improvisers because uh, you know a lot of people think that like you know they see leonardo DiCaprio and like oh my god he's the greatest actor and leonardo DiCaprio is phenomenal i would argue that daniel day lewis is better but still phenomenal <laughs> right there he's he's phenomenal and they they all are but I almost guarantee that there's someone that has the same talent that is performing in some theater you've never heard of for 10 people and a few cockroaches that is just as good. And that's going to put on a show that you're going to walk away from and you're going to just have no idea what to say because you felt every moment of their performance. Mm-hmm. And so it's so important to give those people a stage. For some odd reason, there's this weird idea that to be a successful actor, you you have to make it on the biggest theater stage there is. And, uh, you know, even me, like I was fortunate enough to be in, uh, in a Best Picture winner, but it didn't feel any different than any other films that we'd <laughs> done. Like it's yeah. just a film. It's, you know, it's, it's just a, a thing. But like, it doesn't matter the size of what you do. What matters is the quality of the work. And did you put everything in it? And and did you really feel something from what you did? Because if you did, someone else is going to as well. Mm-hmm. Think about those places that you go to eat that like just you and like your wife know, or, or like those little, like, oh my God, you gotta go to this hole in the wall place. You've never heard of it, but it has the best foe you've ever had in your life, right? But the best waffle, oh my God. I know it's a McDonald's, hear me out, right? But it's like, there are these places where like, that we go, hey, you know, we know this isn't New York. This isn't like this big food capital of the world. But at the same time, you don't necessarily have to go on those big stages to have something that has just had tremendous work at it. And I guarantee that chef that's, you know, working in that hole in the wall restaurant that there are where you think it's phenomenal. They're putting their heart and soul into that. Like it matters to them. And Mm -hmm. and you are absolutely right. Like we are going to find that. And it's weird with food. We're willing to accept that. No, this is the best place in the world. But then when it comes to like, you know, sports and stuff like that, where you're like, oh, oh, come on. I mean, you know, Cal Ripken, man, you know, it's it's like the (laughs) reverse thing about the other food. I feel like now, the bigger the bigger the place, the less we like it, right? Like I yeah. used to love Shake Shack and I still do, but at some level now that it's on every corner, it's like, nah, it's not as cool. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, it's crazy. That's funny. Um, so then my final question is, um, do you have a, a cool or, or just, I don't even, I, I give this long drawn out explanation because I want people to be aware. It doesn't have to be some profound story. It is just, yeah. you have a 50 cups of coffee story. Um, and uh, I know I've, I've given you the prompt and you've listened to a couple episodes, so I won't go on and on. You um, <laughs> can share your story. <laughs> um, so yes, I am a fan. Um, but uh, I, I did do this. Um, and it, it was, it's funny because people would think like you make stuff 
up in in front of <laughs> sometimes hundreds um but like you make stuff in front of other people like how does anything scare you oh trust me things scare me um i still think log flumes are terrifying but like uh i did a film that i'm, I'm still really proud of it's it's uh the film i was nominated for best acting for which was huge a huge honor and it means so much because all i've ever wanted to do in acting is do a good job like like i want to be good at what i do i want my name on stuff that i believe in um and so it was it was such an honor to be nominated and um so i did this film it's called buzz and it's like a parody of, of jaws mm-hmm. essentially which is like one of my favorite movies i was so happy and i got to be quint and um i was i was in it and there was this guy that i was always impressed with he was he was and he's like in he's in the he was in the local area at the time now he's in philadelphia and um we had like the screening of like my film and a whole bunch of other films and he was in one of the other films that was screened so i was like oh my god he's like here and he's like a, such a big shot and he was and he's just like me he's a character actor and I was, so i was always loved his work and i'm like oh one day i want to be like that and I got out of the the screening of it and we had this huge reaction. I was so proud. And he, he saw me and he was like, you were really good, man. You were re- like, really, you did buzz. Right. And I was like, yeah. Cause I think he like, kind of like maybe heard of me a little bit, but not a whole lot. And I was like, yeah. yeah, yeah, I did. I was Clint. And he was like, Oh my God, man. It was so good. And I was like, Oh, and I felt like I was on like a date. Like it was just like, well, well, like finally she's at the lockers and she's paying attention to me. And I was like, uh, you want to get coffee? <laughs> I was like, why did I do it that way? No, but immediately I was like, dude, you know, such a fan of your work. I would love to like, you know, if you're free, that is like, if you ever have time, like I'll meet with your schedule, following all the Bobby guidelines. That's and right. He's like, he's like, yeah, man, I'd love to. And, and I met up with him and um, we just talked shop. Like we, we just sat down and talked about, um, you know, what he does for characters and how he gets into characters and like roles that were challenging and, you know, what he does and our different methods. And because um, I'm, I'm a Meisner actor and, and he does more like Stella Adler. So it was also super cool to like hear that perspective on, on roles and stuff like that. So, but it was, it was so cool. And, and this is a person that I still talk to, to this day. And, and he really helped me in a lot of ways. I don't think that he's, he's fully aware of just because, it was, I remember it was freezing too. It was like, I was like, he's going to cancel because it's like negative 20 out here I'm in Silver <laughs> Spring. But like, um, I, I learned so much about him and, and also about how to persevere because he had talked to me about like, yeah, I was doing a lot of theater and, you know, I got picked and like, I'm doing all this big stuff now, but like, it wasn't always this way. And it, it made me um, realize that there are fantastic people doing stuff everywhere and, and not just um in the big places you think like oh you got to be an la actor you have to be a new york actor you're not in groundlings what are you doing no there's there's fantastic art and music and and sports everywhere just gotta find yeah. out that's awesome and i love i love the point you make about you know his his persevering his challenges his journey that is something i definitely have picked up from the amount of times i've done i've sat down for coffee with people and Years ago, I sat down with a speaker that I admire and, and he looked at me and said, I just can't believe what you've done at such a young age. And I was like, what are you talking about? Because I understood his story from the outside looking in as, as you know, he had started young and come to find out, you know, he, he had a lot of 
challenge when he was younger getting into this business. And I never knew that because you don't put that on your LinkedIn page. You know, you don't put that. <laughs> really struggled. You don't want that in your bio. Someone's looking yeah. to work with you and it's like, I used to suck. And, and so... <laughs> Uh, and, and so you sit down and talk with people and they're more candid and just transparent in themselves. And that's hugely helpful for, for anyone to hear on their own journey. So it's, that's I, awesome. I, it's, it's always one of the things I love the gym. Part of the reason I like the gym so much though, is because you always kind of feel like you suck. Yeah. It's, which sounds really weird, but you, you go to the gym and I guarantee no matter where you are, there's probably someone else that's in there where you probably have a better fitness level than them. You're probably stronger than them. You're like, mm, look at this. I got a little bit of bicep right here. Look at this. Yeah. Right. And then you will see someone else where they are just way better than you in every way. And it's, yeah. I think having someone that, you know, it's above you, we're kind of where you want to be one day, maybe, or things to aspire to. And someone that is where you used to be, is is such a good ego check and it's such a good thing to have because you can share those things because that person where you're so much where you're so much at a higher level than they are they're probably looking at you like one day i want to be like that and you're able to like talk to them about hey this is where i was and this is what i struggled through and it humanizes their experience and makes them realize oh my god like i can do that i can achieve this and the same thing for the top down to the bottom is, oh my God, you know, you can get to that even higher level and it helps to everybody to push each other. It builds a community of strength doing it that way. Well, it literally the image that comes to mind is I remember uh, this because this, I remember this really well. I was in the gym and I was doing bench press, not bench press, but like chest press with dumbbells. And I looked to my right and there's a high school kid, super skinny, doing it too with like the tiniest little dumbbells. And I remember like I was a pretty skinny high school kid and there yeah. was like a moment, like, oh yeah, like good for him, easier working out. And I looked to my left and there's a guy that is bicep curling the same weight that I'm doing for chest press. <laughs> and I thought I'm never getting there. But <laughs> it's all, it's all there. That is 100% true. Um, well, cool. Uh, hey, this is, this has been um, a bucket filler for me during this time to just kind of chat with you and connect and hear your stories and, yeah. and do this thing. So, so thank you for doing this. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. I mean, uh, you know, I, every single day I feel lucky that I'm able to do this, even if it's over a screen. Um, so the only thing I ever remember wanting to do is, well, two things is I wanted to make people laugh and I wanted to be an actor. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's crazy to think that with, you know, the one, possibly the one chance I get at life, I get to do that. It's pretty cool. Thank you for listening to the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. We are being listened to in almost every state in the country and 35 countries worldwide. I'm so appreciative of the support and excitement in season one. If you would like to help us continue to grow, please, 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 please take a minute to subscribe wherever you are listening, rate the show and leave a review. This is how podcasts grow and I appreciate it greatly. 
If your team, business, or school could use a shot of positivity and inspiration, or if your team would benefit from creating a culture of connection in a virtual world, as a reminder, I offer a wide range of highly customized virtual speaking services. Again, from 15-minute pre-recorded messages to interactive live Zoom presentations to highly produced in-studio keynotes to multi-day retreats, we have a virtual solution for you. If you're planning far out and have an ability to host an in-person event safely, please let us know. We are all ears for what is possible. As I said in the intro, I'm having conversations at the moment with summer camps and sports programs planning for in-person programming in the summer. And just yesterday, I had a really, really exciting conversation with an international organization with a virtual workforce, and we are looking to create four virtual experiences for them in 2021 focused on connection and team culture development. If that project sounds exciting to you and your team as well, shoot me a message on Instagram or LinkedIn. Email me at bobbyaudley one at gmail.com or shoot me a text or give me a call at 443-681-9230. That's all for today's episode. Our theme music and art, as always, is by Matisse Soy. Until next time, stay connected.